This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 584, The 3.3 Rule, with John Briggs. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. Joining me today is an old friend. He's not that old, I guess, but we've been friends for quite a while. I hired him. He hired me. We have worked together to do some things that may be a little unprecedented. But John Briggs is a CPA who is also a business owner, and he's doing some less traditional things to actually create some joyful opportunities for CPAs to operate in his particular practice, which is insight, tax, and accounting. And I am excited today to welcome the author, of the 3.3 rule, John Briggs. Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio, John. Thanks for having me, Dr. Paul. Isn't this fun? Always you know, fun. I want to share something with the audience just to give them a context because you and I met, I, I think we decided before we turned on the mics, it was uh, over a decade ago mm-hmm. where we were both invited to speak at an event. And as I was listening to you speak, you you gave just a little idea about what a small business owner like myself could do to keep more of my hard-earned income and start of sending it instead of sending it off to the IRS. And it, it's totally legitimate. It's not something that's illegal or shady, but you gave us this idea, and Vicky and I have implemented that in our business ever since. And Whatever we saved from that has far more than paid for the services that I've engaged your company to provide for us still, as you continue to be our our accountants, our tax accountants. Um, That left an impression on me because I saw that you think differently than the mainstream um, accounting world for sure, but also among business owners. And so I was excited when you came up with this 3.3 rule. I actually got to, to read this, you guys, before it was published and provide uh, a little blurb, a testimonial for that book. Um, and I'm excited about what you're doing here. John, would you just take a moment to share with our audience why you're so passionate about this? What is it that lights you up about this? There's a few things that light me up about it. Um, I'll start with the most, uh, it seems like the strongest connection. As a CPA, uh, our industry is not in good shape. And it hasn't been probably since things like Glassdoor and Reddit really became popular. Um, Because what happens is, uh, people go to school for as to mm-hmm. become an accountant and they get brainwashed, if you will. I talk a little bit about in my book. Um, 
And they kind of are already trained from even before getting a job that this idea of working 70 hours, 80 hours a week is normal and super cool. Okay, cool. So then when you get into the environment, you're like, yeah, 70, 80 hours. But then three to five years pass and accountants are like, gosh, this doesn't feel sustainable. So now because of social media sites and Glassdoor and Reddit and the, all these salary.com accountants can say, hey, I'm an accountant and I hate my life and blah, blah, blah. So the stats are an accountant will leave the entire industry, the entire accounting industry, they'll leave it within three to five years after graduating. Yet, because of burnout, because of burnout, because of being the overworked, and underpaid, the, the terrible model of, hey, let me just squeeze every last ounce of soul out of these team members, knowing that they're going to jump instead of thinking, I wonder if I could do something to keep them anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so that stat has not changed yet. Enrollment in the accounting industry is down drastically. Um, and so I'm just. You know, none of us have a crystal ball, but if I could predict and look at things, what's going to happen is we're going to have an even bigger shortage of accountants than we have now. Okay. If you're not an accountant, it's like, okay, how do I, great. That's too bad. Sorry. Hmm. Well, if we look at the economy overall, our economy, so um, can't remember the exact statistic because there was a percentage that I use, but in the book, it's something like 96% of all new net job creation in 2023 was from small business owners, not the Fortune 100 companies, not these large companies to get all the attention on media, small business. Well, you know who needs accountants more than anyone else? Small business owners, because Mm. they don't start their business with the idea of being excited about financial statements. Yet, those that have a good accountant and use one properly can get a whole lot of insight from having their books done, from saving taxes. Like there's a lot of stuff an accountant right. can do to serve small business owners. Well, if we have a shortage of accountants, supply demand tells us that accountants will raise their fees. At some point, small business won't even be able to afford the accountants they need. Another solution would have to be introduced into the marketplace, a solution that arguably would be less quality because it's a less expensive option. Therefore, small business goes out of business and our economy could potentially cripple. So those fixing the accounting industry, like treating accountants in general, like human beings instead of uh, disposable assets is one of the reasons that lights me up about it. And then I know it's might be a stretch for some as they heard me say that, but I really do think uh, we need accountants in the world to save the economy. And so the book is designed not just for accountants, it applies to everybody. It's written for anyone who's trying to fix their work-life imbalance and the unconscionable hours that they worked. Because now, even if accountants do end up having that problem, they're still, they're gonna be more better prepared to have a successful business regardless. This is not just philosophy for you. Because I've watched you over the years from, uh, and I think I met you first while you were working with another firm, and you had some ideas about how this could work better and how people in the industry could be actually enjoying their life while they're providing this valuable service. And so now that you've set up your own company, I've seen that you have set this up differently 
than a lot of people I know. And I think it's based on this idea, the 3.3 rule. Talk to us a little bit about what that is, because right now, all of you who are listening, you're like, what? 3.3? What is that? Can you give us a quick overview of what that is and why it's so impactful? Yeah, a quick, I don't know, but I'll, let me give you an overview. Well, you wrote a book. I mean, we can go get the book, right? And we'll give you guys access to that. We want to make sure that you have access to what John's done here. But give us give us what yeah. you can in a podcast. I, I definitely want to give you some back context. So 1800s, the world was working 80 to 100 hours a week. Factory industrial age, right? Keep machines going. We need humans on 24-7 to keep machines going. Well, when you're working 80 to 100 hours a week, you know what you don't have time for? Anything else. Right. right. That's all you have. It, that becomes your life. Literally, because you go to work and you sleep, and that's about as many hours in a week as there is. So not a lot of personal time. So early 1900s, there was this little known fellow, just kidding, he's pretty popular, uh, trying to sell motorized carriages. You know who doesn't need motorized carriages? People who are working 100 hours a week and don't have any personal time. Well, right. right. And so Henry Ford is who I'm talking about. Arguably, in a way to sell more cars, came in pretty villainized at the time and said, you know what? My employees, I'm going to give them two days off. And they're like, that's absurd. What are you talking about? Oh, and by the way, I'm cutting their work hour shifts to eight hours a day. Now, all of a sudden, you're working 40 hours a week instead of 100. You have two whole days off. And when you get to those two days off, you're not completely wiped out. Like, oh, you know, I've always wanted to go to that lake. It's a little far away. How could I get there and back in order to be back at work on Monday? You know, that motorized carriage looks pretty appealing. Uh, and all of a sudden, car sales spike and, you know, 40-hour work week, eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. We have the same structure today, a hundred years later, yet we have a lot of science now that didn't exist back then. The 40 hour work week is based on the fact that someone wanted to sell more cars. Well, how do we operate? Well, things have changed from the industrial age. Uh, Peter Drucker introduced the concept of knowledge worker. A lot of studies that talk about the energy required to be a knowledge worker compared to a physical laborer, like blue collar, white collar type of stuff. And uh, it's exhausting. Uh, and mm -hmm. so uh, there's a lot of science that I talk about in the book. I'll just share like one of the main studies with you and your audience here so you can understand the foundation of where the 3.3 rule comes from. Because I want people to understand it's a new workday structure to create more by working less based on science. And I think that's important because... The way we currently work is not based on science. And there's a lot of studies that show how unproductive people are. In fact, there's one in the UK that a lot of people reference now. The average worker produces two hours and 53 minutes a day. And then the other four, five and a half hours, you're paying them and they're not doing anything. So we say they're working, but they're not actually producing. Yeah, their butt might be in the seat. But yes. Uh, they're not actually focused on getting work done. So okay, let me so, underscore something else that you yeah. said, because you just cut, you glossed over this a little bit, but I think this is at the core of what you're teaching. And that is that you can produce more 
by working less. Wait, that's a little backward. That's like, whoa, blow my mind. But it's based on the science. So I wanted to underscore that because yeah, I heard you say exactly. it. But I want to make sure we all hear it too. It is based on the science. And we can even look at the actual numbers after I tell you about this. So uh, University of Champaign, Illinois Champaign, uh, professor guy named Alejandro Yedas wanted to do a study. And at the time, the thing that people were focusing on that was kind of rubbing him the wrong way was attention span. How long is your attention span? What do the studies show? How do we figure this out? And he's, he starts thinking and real, like in his mind, he's hypothesizing. He's like, hold on. We're trying to figure out how long people's attention span is. I don't think there is a limit. I think we always are focused on something. Therefore, our attention span is unlimited based on us being awake. It mm -hmm. just so happens that maybe we're not putting our attention on the thing that we need to be putting our attention on. If I'm daydreaming, my attention's on the daydream. So it's right. there. So I, I don't have an attention span. I have a focus problem. So he he's trying to think, how do I prove this? He looked at some studies that, um, you know, were saying things like physical stimulus. If your body is subjected to constant physical stimulus, your body will eventually neutralize that. And it won't it won't register any longer. For example, right. the clothes that we're currently wearing, we're both dressed. You know, I, maybe you're in uh, sweatpants or something, but whatever. We have the <laughs> fabric, right? Until this moment, after you put on your clothes in the morning, because it's a constant stimulus to your brain, your brain neutralized it. But now that we're bringing it back right. to your awareness, maybe you can you're wiggling a little bit. You feel the way the way it shifts on your skin. Uh, they show that if you stare at an image long enough, it will literally vanish from your eyesight, even though it's still physically in front of you. Right. He said, I wonder if that is applicable to attention span, the way people are thinking about it. Could it be possible that constant stimulus to your brain, your brain will eventually neutralize that stimulus and you're no longer productive or focused on that thing? So he did a study, and I, I go into details of the four groups and all that stuff in the book, but the result was, sure enough, uh, your productivity and ability to produce does decline if you constantly have your brain stimulated. So he found the group that performed the best had breaks. They had interruptions to the stimulus so that then the brain reset and was like, oh, I remember this stimulus. Um, so that's the foundation of the 3.3 rule. That seems so simple. <laughs> I know. And, and simple and easy are not the same thing, right? No, no, they're not. I, I mean, we get into our habits and we've got the programming and the traditions and we think, okay, we do it this way because that's the way it's always been done. And here I see John Briggs among other progressive thinkers out there who are saying, hold on, does this work? And is there a better way to do it? So what does the 3.3 stand for? So the 3.3 rule states, the most efficient workday is to work up to three hours at a time, followed by a 30% recovery period. So the three in the 3.3 represents 
up to three hours. Three hours. And the point three is the 30% recovery period that we should take. So a simple way, an example, if I worked an hour and I felt like that's about as much as my brain can handle with this task, 30% of an hour is 20 minutes. So I would then follow that one hour of focus time with a 20 minute break period. An hour and a half is, you know, 40 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, three hours, if you worked the full three hours, then you would take a full hour off after that period. So you're reset, you can come back and be just as focused in your next focus block as you were when you started the day with your first focus block. And now you're making all of the managers and those those directors of departments really nervous because you're right? suggesting a one hour break in every three hour work period. Yeah. Wait, how will we get anything done? But what you're saying is you will get more done this way. Is that accurate? Yeah, we already know from studies that your workers are only putting in two hours and 53 minutes, the whole eight hours anyways. Under this model, you're paying for eight, yes, and I'm still going to recommend you pay the full amount. But they're really only working six hours. Six hours, and mathematically, if I carry the two divided by the square root, six is larger than two hours and 52 minutes, 53 minutes. So they're going to get more done, even though they're not working the full time. But yeah, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. The kind of counterintuitive pushback that some people have, like, hold on, you want me to pay them for the full eight hours, and you, but I'm intentionally going to give them time to do nothing. Like literally for the break time to be successful, you cannot do anything with work. Um, that's an important point. And I thought that when you were saying take a break, it doesn't mean you know, take off your shoes and keep working on the spreadsheet. And right. you do something completely detached from the, the area of focus. And Dan Sullivan teaches this too. I remember when I was going through the strategic coach program that the hardest thing for entrepreneurs, especially business owners, they get so focused on their work they don't take free time and it's the free time that magnifies the focus time so you're quoting studies about this but there are, there has been knowledge of this concept far longer than anybody has really implemented it yeah and and we're still struggling with the implementation so you're <laughs> suggesting yes okay so you got somebody for an 8 hour workday plan on two of those eight hours being unrelated to your work at all. Yeah. And if they if your team members, your employees, whatever, structure it the right way. I mean, technically, if I worked three hours, I took an hour off, worked another three hours, and now the last hour of my day is break time, why don't I just leave and go home? Right. Why not? I'm I'm allowed to not work during that last hour. Wait, so is the boss you're saying that's okay? I know, right? Crazy. <laughs> and what have you noticed? I mean, maybe we don't have all the studies yet to show the efficacy of this. I think there are some, and you're probably aware of them. 
But what have you personally noticed as you've implemented this kind of thinking in your organization? You know, without this, your team, any and even us, whether it's our team or if we're sole, like solopreneurs, self-employed, like you sit down for the day and you know that there's eight hours. Like I'm not going home till five. That mentally, that's kind of hard sometimes. And especially if you have to a couple of tasks, you got to get done the day that you procrastinated. Uh, you're not actually super focused all the time uh, during that work period. Now introduce, and so we've noticed this, especially with team, giving them permission, knowing they don't need to feel guilty when they want to take a break and call someone or just talk to another coworker or go for a walk or any of the other great things you can do during break time, knowing that they have that space coming up at some point, they're more focused when they actually have focused work time which is again, supports the idea that we're now getting more than two hours and 53 minutes of work in a day because they are focused. They know they're gonna have a break that resets them. And now with that success of like, man, I had a great break. They come back focused again. And so uh, one of the things I've noticed is they are really just more productive because now they don't have that subconscious guilt of, I can't really work eight hours straight. And so what am I going to do? Oh, I'll just whip out Facebook here real fast and check some things. I only scroll on TikTok or whatever things. But for the record, social media, dopamine, heavy type of activities, not great to do during your break period. Candy crush? Absolute no-no. Um, mm. But uh, watching comedians on YouTube, that's great. You want to watch kitten videos? Some of those things are totally fine. <laughs> and there's reasons behind all of that as well. I'm thinking as you're sharing this, though, John, we're talking about a short period, a, a work day, and how that is structured. But over time, this has a number of different effects. Uh, obviously, the productivity, if you're getting six hours out of somebody instead of three, just by giving them structured breaks in their day, and, and the permission, I think that's part of the culture, right? The, yep. the, it's not frowned on. You're not judging people. It's like, yes, please take a break. We want your full brain on this. So go recharge it. It's it's like recharging your device, right? Yeah. Um, it, oh, I can't, don't, I can't take time to recharge it. I got all this stuff to do. And then it dies on you. So you recharge the device. But I'm thinking also in addition to the productivity, Comment for just a minute about what you're seeing about satisfaction with with the job, with the work environment, um, the culture of the company. Can you comment about that as well? Yeah, 100% higher client, like higher employee satisfaction in what they're doing because they by the end of the workday, they've had enough breaks that they don't feel like they just spent a whole workday. They're not exhausted because the break periods refresh them. And if you're going somewhere and getting paid and you're leaving leaving refreshed and excited about how the day went, you, you want to come back. I can't tell you how many times we have a gratitude channel um, that every Monday, every team member is asked to share three things they're grateful for. Mm. Um, and often, like weekly, there's at least one person who says, 
I'm just so excited that I have a job that I'm excited to come to on Monday after a weekend. Mm-hmm. Like that's hard to be, you know, as an employer trying to change the yeah. lives of your team members and uplift them instead of seeing them as just a disposable asset. Like it's right. good. When I asked you about their satisfaction, you started to say client <laughs> satisfaction, and then you just switch back over to your team. But let's go there for a minute. What impact does this have on the clients? You know, when your team who's serving your clients uh, enjoy what they're doing, they're more pleasant. They're just happier. And most yes. people in my to my recollection, and now you're the psychologist on this, and you know more about it than I do. I can't recall a time where someone in seriousness told me upset, like enough with the happiness. Don't bring extra positivity energy to my life. I've never seen that. So you you have these <laughs> team members who are enjoying it. They're dealing with the clients. There's a natural reaction uh, there's a natural outcome that the clients have a better satisfaction now because they're dealing with happy people and we'd rather if choosing between dealing with happy people or someone upset we all would rather choose to deal with the happy person um so client satisfaction is for sure an element of this and of course then you could go down bottom line financially your net income will increase because your team is going to be producing more than they're currently producing by giving them permission to take breaks so simple yet so powerful as you're talking about this john i'm thinking about the natural reciprocal reaction that people will have we do business with those that we know like and trust and if someone is positive and happy and feels good in their place of employment they are more likable they're more likely to be trusted Right. So there's all of these impacts that come from a very simple idea. And, you know, one of the things that I think it boils down to, I thought this as I was reading your book, John, we need to remember that when we're working with human beings, (laughs) they are, in fact, human. And if we treat them the way we as a human want to be treated, uh, we're going to have far better outcomes. So I'm glad that you're illuminating this in the context of the 3.3 rule. Well, and I'll even double down on it in the sense that because we're all human, not every day is going to be perfect. And even the happy people who enjoy work are going to have bad days or days that they're struggling based on what's going on. Because one of the things I talk about, this whole idea of work-life balance, it's a fallacy because you can't balance something against itself because work and life affect each other. So if someone does have a bad day, but they have a plethora, or as Stephen Covey might say, like their piggy bank was full of positive experiences, it's Mm -hmm. a lot easier and faster for them to recover from the inevitable things that happen that could bring us down. Uh, Like We had just recently, a few months ago, a super key employee come in and is like, "I, I think I'm done. It's like, whoa, we've experienced massive growth. And there's a few of us in the company, a handful that just have way more work on our plate than we can handle. We're trying to hire and figure out what the new roles are. And uh, she just, she reached a point where she's like, I just, I don't know. I know that I'm failing. I know, you know, that I'm failing. And it's like, I don't necessarily feel like you're failing. I just, 
you got too much to do. Um, but because we had built a rapport of this is the culture that we have, and we do want you to enjoy your life. And I'm not trying to squeeze your soul out of you. It's like, first of all, take some time off. Like sometimes the 3.3 rule can, you can take it in a different direction say, okay, just take a day off for yourself then. Like, let's, let's let the stress, like give yourself a 24 hour break cleanse of the current work stress and let's come back and talk about it. And because we had so much good positivity and she loves the company, uh, it was very easy to overcome that. And now, you know, she's back fully committed type of scenario. Right. Probably with a renewed commitment to the company and the people she's working with. Yeah. John, this is fantastic. I know as you're listening, like me, you might be inspired to learn more about this and to get really engaged in the 3.3 rule. There's a way you can get to that. There's a website, actually, 3.3 rule book. You can't put a dot in there because internet addresses think that that means something else. So 3.3, the number three, the number three, rulebook.com. And John, you've got a free download there too that people can get to get kickstarted on this. Yeah, um, we'd love to see you there. Uh, you know, if you have the twenty bucks in your budget, I you know selfishly would say it's a good Buy investment. Buy the book on Amazon. Um, we have a ton of resources as well. So if you go to three three rulebook com backslash free, there there's in addition to. The download you might see on the homepage, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, we use ourselves and with our clients to not just make the 3-3 rule a part of their life, but to make the focus time when your team is working or you are working as productive as possible. And I'm sure that's where people can connect to you also and get in touch if they want you to speak or provide a training or something for them. Um, you guys... Take this to heart, because what John's talking about here is psychologically sound, and it's been proven in not only the accounting industry, but in many other industries where people have taken this to heart. Once again, it's the 3.3 rule. That's the name of the book. And you can go to 33rulebook.com to get connected to that and some of the free resources that John has made available. John, thank you for joining us at Live On Purpose Radio today. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys, you've heard it. It's time to do it. Let's go live on purpose. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it. And leave us a rating, too. It's time now to live on purpose. <laughs>